0: You must have made 30,
1: 40 films. Well, I'll tell you what happened. In those days, we were very, very, very busy in radio. When television came around, all of the writers and producers and directors from radio were the early pioneers of television. Like Jess Oppenheimer was the producer of Lucy. So we knew them all. We'd say, hey, how about it? They'd say, yeah, I got something coming up, available next week. So I was very, very busy in the early days of television. We
2: just drifted with the people that we knew and they felt comfortable with us. I'll tell you, one of the saddest
1: days of my life was when they changed from a six-day week to a five-day week. The early television shows, most of them would shoot for three days. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Now, all of a sudden... There's a five-day week. Now, you can't do two shows a week. You can do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. Now, the Thursday and Friday one's going to carry over to Monday. Now, you can't do Monday, Tuesday. Oh, boy, that was terrible.
3: By June 1954, network radio drama was facing huge sponsor disinterest. Shows canceled in the first half of the year included The Quiz Kids, Dr. Christian, Front Page Farrell, Bulldog Drummond, Rocky Fortune, Ozzie and Harriet, and The Six Shooter. ABC, CBS, Mutual, and NBC reduced ad sale charges for the sixth consecutive year. It was an attempt to offset TV's broadening market share. It didn't work. For the first time in 16 years, revenue fell. The only category to see an increase in sales was local advertising, and even that rose less than 1%. In 1948, radio's top show was heard by roughly 28 million people. In 1950, by 20 million. In 1952, by 14 million. And in 1954, by 9 million. Coast radio actors like Herb Vigran and Herb Ellis were moving to TV. But television was already going through budgetary changes. I
2: also think you have to remember the early days of television were half hour cowboy or sitcom. So if you had, let's say, 30 half hours of shows, let's say five shows in one night, seven days a week is 35 shows, okay? Ultimately, they started the live Playhouse 90s And so they found the hour format. And so we're talking about now actors and craft, guild people, where they used to be, all of these different crews working on all these half-hour shows, all of a sudden, one whole crew and one whole bunch of actors cut disappeared, in half. cut in half. And then ultimately, hour and a half and then huge sales of motion pictures to television, and you cut those hour and a half by Boku, and you had nothing. From 1959 to 1966 or seven or eight, there was a tremendous unemployment. I remember sitting at the Brown Derby with McDonald Carey. We had done a Jason, and uh, Ricardo Montalban came by and sat down and they were talking about how they were being asked to take a cut. This is about 1952 or 3, that they were being asked to take a cut. The producers had already started to cut down on the wage scale, and the scale that Ricardo Montalban was being asked to work for was a scale that I had finally worked myself up to. And I said, holy cow, he's, if McDonnell Carey and Ricardo Montalban are going to be asked to work for that kind of money, where do I have to go back to the $65 a day well, minimum? And it, boy, it happened. They just went right down the toilet. What I mean.
1: happened is that they used to call these little bits that we played, like uh, that went for a day or two or were two, three, four pages, they called them cameos and they'd give them to a star.
3: By the summer of 1954, More than 60% of U.S. homes had a TV set. I Love Lucy pulled a rating of nearly 60. Radio's top show, People Are Funny, had a rating of 8.4. Along with oncoming transistor sets, nearly 30 million cars now had radios, but there was still no system to measure this audience. The next year, it was estimated that out-of-home listening added an additional 40% to at-home audiences. People Are Funny's actual rating was closer to 12. But these incidentals didn't matter to the industry's character actors. Network production habits were changing. More and more documentaries and news were airing from New York. More and more drama was airing from Los Angeles.
1: And they would give the star like a top salary of thousand dollars. Thousand
2: dollars, and for, you know we finally worked yeah. our way up to two, three, yeah. four, five hundred dollars a yeah. day. You know how many days do you work? You don't. So work we could put, put
1: the star's name on the marquee. There's one other thing to answer your question too. As I said, I was so busy when television started, but suddenly there was so much television going on out here that the actors in New York started swarming oh. out here. They now when did. the actors swarmed out here, the directors followed. And when all the directors came out here, they started using the New York actors had been their friends, and, that they were familiar and with the, and the guys with. who had been doing a lot of television like me. Suddenly, it ain't there
2: anymore. Yeah. It was a very dry period. That's that Herb's talking about. Very dry. It was tough. Yeah, I was lucky to have found cocaine and marijuana, and I was. <laughs>
3: Things would be tougher by the end of the decade, but we're not there yet. Tonight we'll head into June of 1954 as network radio reaches a point of no return. Welcome to Breaking Walls, episode 128. My name is James Scully. Tonight, we wrap up our six month look at 1954 by ending in June with network cancellations. If this is your first time listening to Breaking Walls, welcome to the show. You can find this series on every podcasting platform and at thewallbreakers.com. There's no opening song tonight in honor of the men and women who couldn't make the transition to TV. Production crews were squeezed out, writers didn't make the cut, and actors just weren't pretty enough for the new medium. Along with the added red scare, many never found the soft landing. Join the Breaking Walls Facebook group to keep in touch with news, snippets, photos, and other additions to the podcast at facebook.com slash groups slash the you can also support these shows for as little as $1 per month at patreon.com slash the Speaking of our president, Frank
2: Nelson, who was president of AFTRA, is, I don't know, he's been here, of course. And he is conservative, to say the least. He is not what I would call a reactionary Republican, but he is a conservative Republican, fiscally and every other. I sat next to Frank when our president, in a debate, called Frank Nelson a communist, because he said that SAG's uh, medical was better than AFTRA's, and Frank tried to point out to him at the time that AFTRA had a better medical plan. As a matter of fact, SAG didn't have didn't any. Didn't have one. And I, now we used to play baseball in North Hollywood Park. Gil Stratton, Herb mentioned, Hal March, Jaime Del Valle, who was a producer, Virginia Gregg, Hi Aberbach, Sweeney, Bob Sweeney, Bob Sweeney and um, (laughs) Frank Nelson played and that day I said well Frank what do you think? I said, if the revolution is going to come with you as a communist, I said, I guess I'm going to go with you. <laughs> he was flabbergasted, didn't know where to go, having been called a communist. And strangely enough, it came at the time when McCarthy started this kind of thing and people were able to, they came up with, what was it, red channels, and they would indiscriminately put a guy's name in and if they didn't like him, and he was a commie and could not work. It was really a sad thing because there were guys that were not... They may have voted, I guess, or had been at a meeting for Henry Wallace. If that was a commie, I don't know. But they just got blackballed. So I said, Frank, if the revolution comes, if you lead it, I'm going with you. (laughs) But he said, me, a communist? Oh, my God. He was horrified. Good evening
4: from Washington. The McCarthy Army investigation here in the Capitol hit today a new high, or a new low, for bitter personal invective. Senator McCarthy clashed with Army Counsel Joseph Welch. Senator McClellan struck fire with Senator McCarthy. McCarthy counterattacked against Senator Ralph Flanders. And as the day ended, McCarthy held the floor in the Senate caucus room on Capitol Hill, demanding that all principals in this case submit to lie detectors. This after Welch had expressed what he called serious suspicions that certain documents produced by the Senator from Wisconsin were phony. Well, again today, on the 24th day of the hearing...
3: As June got underway, the Army McCarthy hearings dragged on.
4: Richard Harkness from Washington reporting the highlights.
3: This early focus was on the continued testimony from McCarthy attorney Roy Cohn, cross-examined by Ray Jenkins.
4: ...was on the stand. Ray H. Jenkins was asking the questions. Mr. Jenkins went directly to one of the Army charges that Cohn threatened to get Secretary of the Army Stevens.
5: You will recall, Mr. Cohn, that he testified that you said that if Cheyenne went overseas, Stevens was through as Secretary I heard, of the Army. I heard him say that, sir. Did you or not?
6: No, sir. Did you say anything like that, Mr. Cohn? No, sir, and I've talked to, my recollection as I did not, and I've talked to Mr. Carr, who was sitting there the whole time, and he says, I did not.
5: Then you say that such a statement on the part of Mr. Adams is purely a figment of his imagination or has no foundation whatever in fact?
6: I would say, sir, he is mistaken. He's mistaken? Yes, sir. And
5: when he swears as uh, is reflected on page 2606 as follows, yes, sir, that is right. I ask him what would happen if Shine got overseas duty. He responded with vigor and force. Stevens is through a secretary of the army.
6: You say that didn't happen, Mr. Cohn? I say I have no recollection of having said that. I've checked with Mr. Carr, who is sitting right there, and he says I did not say it, sir. Now,
5: Mr. Cohn, I'm not asking you what somebody else said uh, that you did or did not say. As I understood you a moment ago, you said that did not happen? Yes, sir. And as I understood your
6: last response to my question, you said you have no recollection of that happening. I don't recall that having been happened. I don't remember saying that, and I have checked with the only other person in this world who was there, and he says that likewise he does not remember it being said and does not remember it having happened.
5: As we get it then, Mr. Cohn, you're not here denying it of your own knowledge.
6: Sir, I can come pretty close to that.
5: I know, but uh, that pretty close is a relative term. Sometimes an inch means a whole lot, and... Sure. And sometimes the uh, several feet mean nothing. Sure. Ah, uh, but uh, now uh, as I get your testimony, you neither admit nor deny saying that Se- Stevens is through as secretary of the army if this boy Shine has overseas duty. Is no, that sir. right
6: now, Mr. Cole? No, sir. I think I go on much further than that. I've given it to you, sir, as my best recollection, and my recollection is a fairly good one that I did not make those statements. I've told you I've checked with the only other person on this earth who was there, but he says I did not make those statements, sir. And I can tell you under my oath here that I never, I never threatened to wreck the army, that I'm sure Mr. Adams never believed for two seconds that I threatened to wreck the army, that I'm sure he knows I could not wreck the army, that the whole thing is just a little bit ridiculous.
3: After lunch, Vermont Republican Senator Ralph Flanders compared McCarthy, his own party mate, to Adolf Hitler. He accused him of axe-happy attempts to divide the country and split the Republican Party.
6: He also compared McCarthy to Dennis the Menace.
3: Flanders speculated that if McCarthy were a double agent for the Communists, he'd been doing a perfect job. Later on, McCarthy accused Flanders of being a senile racist,
6: religious bigot. That calm
4: was soon broken. Jenkins called on Cohn to produce certain McCarthy committee documents memos and reports they were, to show exactly how much work G. David Schein did on subversion when he had those passes from the Army. Alcone produced the material, a whole cardboard box full. Senator McCarthy broke in. He called for the right to examine the papers and thus drew prompt reaction from Senator John McClellan, Democrat of Arkansas. We now hear McCarthy, then McClellan, with unhappy Chairman Carl Mundt
0: trying to get his word in. Mr. Mr. Chairman. Senator McCarthy. We have, as the chair can see, a huge box full of material. I am reasonably certain that by 2 o'clock we will be able to handle this matter satisfactorily. I do want to talk to Mr. Carr, to Mr. Cohen, find out what we have here I told the chair I'd give him all the material minus the names of informants, and uh, it's impossible if we'd look at that box of material and know whether or not there are the names of informants in it. I i have I have told, told my informants time and time again over the air that they, their names would not go to anyone who would try to punish them, try to get their job. That's still my position. The chair has not asked for the names of informants. I hope that we can go through that and uh, perhaps with Mr. Jenkins and his staff and decide what is material, what is not. I hope we can answer that by two o'clock. Sir, I'd be very happy if Mr. Jenkins would
7: work with us on it. Uh, Senator McClellan. Mr. Chairman, I'm not concerned about Senator having time to go through the file so that he'll know what is being presented or what is being filed or placed made available to this committee. If he doesn't know and wants time, that's certainly all right. But I do want this, I want this understood, that anything filed before this committee, anything presented in response to this request or subpoena, or whatever it is, this senator is going to look at it if he wants to. I don't want any misunderstanding about that. I say that to you, I mean what I'm saying. I want you to understand it. I want to know when it's filed and when it's not. When it's filed, Senate. it's going before this committee as a part of the record of this committee, and this senator is going to see it. Now, if it's not filed, that's a different matter. But it, whenever it goes into the custody of this committee, this senator is going to look at it if he wants to, and I'm not going to ask the, chair. the chair whether I can or not. May the, the chair say, say, the the say the says but, that uh, Mr. Mr. the chair has, Chairman, has the floor,
5: I'll call it. the right chair has right the, has so the side floor. May the chair say that any material received in evidence before this committee is received by the committee and is available to the committee members and to the staff of the committee. I don't know anything about what's in that box. I know what we asked for. Whatever we get is available, Senator McClellan, uh, to all of the Republicans and all of the Democrats and all of the members of our committee staff of whom there are five. May I say to the chairman? Senator McCarthy. The chairman is speaking
0: now as chairman of this special committee and he certainly has a right to uh, may I say, speaking as chairman of the investigating committee, that the senator from Arkansas will not get the names of any confidential informants that I have. This is especially true in view of the fact that since the senator came back on the committee, came back on six days after the Mr. Adams, Mr. Stevens contacted him. Uh, He hasn't taken the stand to tell us why he came back, what that conversation was, that's his business, we can't subpoena him to do it. He has made it very clear, however, Senator Arkansas has, that he feels that those individuals who give me information about communists, about traitors, that they should be prosecuted. He's made speeches demanding that they be prosecuted. I want to tell the Senator of Arkansas in all honesty now that he will not get the names of any individuals who give me information about graph, corruption, communism, unless and until he assures me that those names will not be used. Let me make this clear that as far as I am concerned, I don't make memorand, I don't put those names in the files. I'm very careful not to do that because I've been worried about the sort of thing, Senator McClellan, that I've seen here the past few days. I was frankly worried when my three Democrat friends came back on the committee, about whether they were coming back to help us dig out, graft, corruption, communism, or whether they were coming back upon the request of Mr. Adams and Mr. Stevens. I still don't know. I still don't know, but I want to say very clearly the Senator of Arkansas will never get the name of anyone who confidentially and in secrecy gives me information about dishonesty, graft, corruption, treason in this government. So that's absolutely clear.
7: Mr. Chairman, I say to the Senator from Wisconsin, I have never asked him for such names. His implication is false. Secondly, it's false when you imply by any language that you may have used Here now, and when I was absent from this committee, that I wanted the name of informants to make public...